to Talk FX, where we promise to keep the conversation honest and real for our Fragile X community. We are a group of moms of Fragile X children, self-advocates, and full mutation carriers from Washington, Idaho, and Oregon, all on a mission to share our stories and experiences in the hopes of reaching more Fragile X families and creating more awareness of Fragile X syndrome. So with that in mind, let's jump right in to this week's episode of Talk FX. Thank you for tuning in to Talk FX. My name is Nicole, and I'm joined today with Ashley, mom of Austin, who is 19 months old and has Fragile X syndrome. She's going to share with us today um, his diagnosis story and what's that what that has looked like for them. Um, so thank you so much for joining us, and we're so excited to have you. Thank you. Yes. Happy to be here. So our diagnosis story with Austin started when he was about one month old. Um, we walked away from his one-month well visit with a torticollis diagnosis. Um, wasn't able to turn his neck from side to side. Um, one side of his head was extremely flat. Um, so it took us about until he was seven months old of doing, you know, intense sessions of tummy time and neck stretches multiple times a day to really gain him that mobility in his neck. So very early on, you know, worry, um, you know, things that needed to be followed up on. Um, by his four-month well visit, his eyes were still crossing, um, something that they said, you know, was in the realm of normalcy, you know, if by his six-month well visit it hasn't stopped, we'll refer him to an ophthalmologist. Um, by six months, his eyes still had not stopped crossing. Um, it was something that was happening all the time. Um, he wasn't tracking properly. Um, and we went to an ophthalmologist and, you know, that was the first thing she noted, his irritable behavior. Um, he wasn't tracking light, um, especially on the torticollis side, you know, wasn't really able to turn his head well at all. And, you know, she said, you know, come back in a month and we'll see if things have improved. And um, by the time we came back, you know, he was very irritable at that appointment as well. And she recommended we do an IMRI to see what was going on because it was very clear that, you know, he couldn't, he could see, but he couldn't see more than, you know, a couple inches in front of him. So he had an IMRI done at about, I want to say eight months old. And to our surprise, it came back about a week later that the results were normal. I could hear the surprise in the doctor's voice actually. And she diagnosed him with delayed visual maturation. She couldn't tell me you know, why his vision was delayed, but it was, and she anticipated it would improve with time. Um, seven months to nine months was kind of our last time of bliss. You know, no, he wasn't sitting unassisted yet. Um, you know, he hadn't rolled over yet. There were certain milestones that he should have achieved that he hadn't, but he had had torticollis. He had delayed visual maturation. You know, he had some reasons. Um, the nine-month well visit was really kind of when we started to worry. Um, the pediatrician kind of hit us that, you know, he's at the level about a seven-month-old. I think you should go to early intervention and see what they say. Um, so early intervention came out. They did an intake. They were like, you know, yes, we'll be back in two weeks to do an assessment. And the results of his assessment were actually global developmental delay. Um, he scored below a 77 in all five domains. We were shocked. Um, social, adaptive, cognitive, communication, and gross motor. You know, at that point, we knew that, you know, no, he wasn't sitting up. He wasn't trying to crawl yet. 
Um, he wasn't pulling to stand. And we were also right at the point where we were trying to transition him from pureed foods to solid foods. And he was gagging. He couldn't tolerate it. We didn't know what that was about. Um, so EI, we started weekly visits with a physical therapist and biweekly visits with a speech feeding therapist. And um, that kind of kicked off, you know, kind of on a weekly basis, kind of analyzing Austin. You know, this is what he's been doing. This is what he can do. This is what he can't do. Um, you know, we were suggested to follow up with an ear, nose, and throat doctor to see why he was so congested. We were told to get a second opinion on his eyes because they weren't buying, you know, the delayed visual maturation diagnosis. We were told to see a neurologist because they felt that cognitively he was quite behind. And even though gross motor is where he was improving the most, you know, by 10 months, he did learn to sit up unassisted. By 13 months, he did learn to crawl and he was starting to pull to stand all things that to us were, you know, we were so hopeful about, they were like, something is not right here. Um, when the speech feeding therapist came around his first birthday, they noted that perhaps a lip tongue tie was at play. They, you know, his tongue was never coming out of his mouth. It didn't seem like he was really able to do the motion of swallowing. Um, so that was something we were able to take care of fairly quickly. He did see a pediatric dentist um, there was a lip tie and a tongue tie. So we had those lasered right there on the spot. And within a week, you know, he was eating better. He was able to swallow solid foods. You know, yes, it was very messy. He was raking it into his mouth. Um, you know, for months, we worked with the speech feeding therapist to help him pick things up with his thumb and index finger versus just raking. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it was just a lot. There were a lot of things going on. And, yeah. you know, we thought it all tied back to perhaps the torticollis, perhaps the delayed visual maturation. You know, we had a lip and tongue tie. Maybe that's why he was having trouble eating and wasn't really babbling yet. The, everything could be kind of pinpointed back to something else. But, you know, in the end, we were like, why are there so many things wrong here? And um, I think the first specialist we ended up seeing after getting the lip tongue tie taken care of was a second opinion with an ophthalmologist. And to our surprise, they were like, you know, he can see. They're like, and the strabismus is really not that bad. And um, while he was sitting in my lap, she noted that he was stimming. And she was like, "I that's autistic behavior. She was like, you should take him to see a neurologist. So that was kind of the first one where we were like, oh, dear, you know, maybe something is not right here. You know, by that point, around 12 months, we were noticing that he wasn't always answering his name. Um, he was starting to rub things repetitively against his mouth. He was shaking his hand repetitively in front of his eyes, you know, everywhere while he was sitting down playing at his high chair, um, on the changing table. He was only answering his name 20% of the time. And I don't want to say we were making excuses for him, but, you know, that whole time we were like, maybe he's not looking when we enter the room because he can't see us. You know, we were really only getting those big social interactions when we were right up in his face. And everyone kind of noticed that from family members to us, grandparents, um, you know, so it wasn't making excuses. We thought it was a real issue, but she was like, you know, no, he can see, um, see a neurologist. Um, then we saw the ear, nose and throat doctor and they were like, you know, yes, he's very congested, but this is just typical toddler. He'll grow out of it. You know, he doesn't need his adenoids removed. He had a hearing test done. He could hear, um, you know, that was another thing EI had pitched to us. Maybe there's an auditory component he can't hear. And that's why he's not turning when you walk into a room or 
when you call his name, um, but he passed that as well. So the last step was the neurologist. And um, I had one night, you know, in the three month period from month 11 to month 14, where we were told to see all these doctors and when we got the referrals and actually got in to see them, we were obviously doing Google searches almost nightly. And one night I had stumbled upon Fragile X. It came up when I was looking up, you know, autistic features, congestion, um, strabismus, and it fit because of the social piece of it. I, it really kind of hit me. You know, I never really thought autism fit, even though he was stimming. He just was very social, very affectionate, um, you know, was giving us open mouth kisses at that point. He could do eye contact, just all of the stereotypical, you know, this is autism. He didn't have that. Um, but it was so rare. And we kind of hoped and thought that maybe we had gone too far down the rabbit hole. So, you know, we had stumbled across it, but we kind of put it to the side. But then unfortunately, when he was 14 months old and we saw the neurologist, it was one of the first things she mentioned. She was like, I'm going to test him for Fragile X. I'm going to do a chromosomal microarray. She's like, and I'm going to do a brain MRI. And she was like, but honestly, I, I don't think you even need the brain MRI. She's like, I think you're going to get your answer in the genetic piece. She's like, and if you don't, I'm going to give him an autism diagnosis to get him more services. So that was the longest four weeks of our lives because we just had a bad feeling and we knew we weren't getting out of it, you know, unscathed. All of the, you know, is this tied to the delayed visual maturation? Is this tied to the tongue tie? It just kind of threw all that out the window that he had all of these issues because of something else. Um, so during those four weeks from when he took the test to when we got the results, I stumbled upon FragileX.org and I, you know, came across, you know, the hereditary piece and how sometimes mothers can have fertility issues. And I was like, oh, dear, you know, that's me. Um, I had tried to get pregnant with my daughter, Elle, for a year and a half and it didn't happen and ended up going to Boston IVF and doing IVF to have her. And you know, I had extremely low ovarian reserve at 29 years old. I had a very low response rate when I did the IVF. Um, she was actually the only embryo I got. Um, but, you know, I had my baby. Um, Fragile X was not brought up to me at all during that time. I was never tested for it, did not know I was a carrier. And um, when I left the clinic, they were like, you know, you probably have a 1% chance of naturally conceiving, we'll probably see you back in two to three years. And then to our surprise and delight, eight months later, we conceived Austin naturally. And it just kind of all fit when I read about how you can have something called faxpoi where you are ovulating and, you know, there are eggs in there, but it's just not happening on a regular basis. So that kind of fit. And um, I unfortunately noticed in the last year that my father had been having a tremor in his hand. He came over to babysit almost every Friday with my mom. He'd babysit the kids while I worked downstairs. And it was something I had started to notice before even reading about that. And um, I was just like, oh man, <laughs> you know, I don't think we're getting out of this. I'll be shocked if he doesn't get a fragile X diagnosis. And then um, about one week into COVID, we had been working from home. You know, all doctor's appointments had gone virtual. We had her a follow-up appointment with the geneticist and she confirmed that he had fragile X. He had greater than 450 repeats. Um, I was a premutation carrier and it just kind of, I, I can't explain it. We weren't surprised, but we were of course surprised and very sad. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, thank you so much for sharing that. That is definitely 
um, a very uh, unique situation, a unique story that I have definitely not, um, you know, heard before. You said that Austin has, um, uh, what was the uh, diagnosis that he had regarding, you know, his, his muscles you were talking about in the beginning? Um, he had torticollis. torticollis. So that was, yeah. Okay. I had not heard of that before. Um, so was that just a separate, um, diagnosis before you found out about Fragile X? Yeah, he was given that diagnosis and his, at his one month well appointment. And I believe it's completely unconnected. I, in yeah. all my researching since, I've never really read that, you know, some kids have that. So unfortunately, I do think that's a separate unlucky thing he had to go through. Right. Um, well, you know, I did happen to see that uh, incredibly cute video of him going up and down the stairs. Um, that was just so cute. (laughs) Um, and so I just kind of wanted to kind of touch on that and just, um, talk to you about, um, that, you know, milestone for him, how it's been kind of working with him on, you know, gaining some strength, you know, walking independently and any other sort of, um, milestones that you wanted to share that he's kind of been, you guys have been, um, you know, working with him on lately. Absolutely. Um, I just want to start off by saying he is the sweetest little thing. Um, he sure <laughs> looks like it. <laughs> I couldn't feel more badly if, you know, there's going to be struggles for him in his future because he's just um, adorable, very social. Um, the most exciting thing that has happened in the last three months since we got the diagnosis is he started grabbing our hands to help him with things. And we were just so excited by that. You know, in the months prior to that, he would kind of sit with his toys and play on his own. And, you know, it was us going up to him. And, you know, now he's handing books to us that he wants read to him. He is grabbing our hand to maybe press a light up music toy that he can't quite, you know, doesn't quite have the strength to do on his own. And just, you know, the the start of communication, we're just thrilled. Again, in the last three months, he has developed receptive language. And that's been a very exciting thing because we've been able to teach him certain keywords. You know, Austin, it's time to eat, time to drink, you know, outside. Do you want to get up? All done, more. And we just repeat it at the appropriate times throughout the day. And, you know, over the last two months, we've been able to communicate with him a lot more. You know, a lot of that whimpering communication that, you know, was very frustrating for months nine to 15 or 16 because we we just kind of had to guess what he wanted and now um you know we're like do you need a diaper change do you want to eat do you want to drink and you know if we get it right he immediately kind of the whimpering stops and he smiles and Mm -hmm. understood each other so that's been that's probably number one but um on top of that, you know, climbing up and down the stairs, he's just so proud of himself and he loves his praise. Um, you know, he's learned to stack rings. He's learned to le- put the purple circle in his little shape sorter. Just this week, he learned how to put the basketball in his hoop. Um, you know, and you have to keep in mind, you know, these are simple things for neurotypical kids, but these are things we worked on with him probably over the last four to six months. Um, it can take anywhere from two to three weeks to three to six months for him to learn, you know, something play related. And when he gets it, it's just, 
every every little thing you know you get tears in your eyes because it's just so exciting um absolutely yeah like four or five months ago he started pushing around his little tram so that he could walk around the house and you know at first you had to be right behind him and help him turn and that's something in the last month he's learned how to turn himself and he doesn't need us and um you can just see he's so proud of himself and his face and it's just it's very cute (laughs) Yes, uh, that is so amazing. And and I'm so uh, glad that you shared that because, um, you know, being someone that has a, you know, cousin with fragile X, uh, and just my experience with um, talking with other families with children with with fragile X, you know, all, uh, all children with fragile X are, are different. They all learn things at different paces. But, you know, one of the most important things, um, that you, you know, you basically, um, uh, said in sharing, um, about his milestones is that, you know, it takes consistency. Um, you know, as long as you are consistent and, uh, patient with your child, they can really accomplish anything. And I think that all individuals with fragile X are just, uh, they're, they just are huge examples of that. You know, I've just watched my cousin complete milestones that, you know, some, uh, just like Austin, you know, took maybe a few weeks, some took a few months. Um, you know, every, every individual with Fragile X is different. And I think that, you know, um, so many, uh, people in the Fragile X community just, um, repeat every time, you know, it's about, uh, consistency and patience. And so I'm a huge believer in the fact that, um, individuals with Fragile X can learn anything that you, um, you know, want them to, um, as long as you are that, uh, patience and consistency. And so, I am super excited for Austin. Um, he just sounds so adorable, and um, <laughs> and I just love being able to um, talk with you about him. Um, and you know, I think that your story is definitely going to be a very encouraging one for for uh, families that listen, because um, you know, like it's, it's hard as a parent when you receive that diagnosis, because it just, um, means you're starting a different, you know, lifestyle, if you will, than, than you kind of thought. And, um, honestly, you know, my, um, my cousin has really taught me a lot more than me teaching him anything. And I think beauty of, of, of kids with fragile X is they really teach us. Um, we don't teach them, uh, very much. I, I think that they do it all on their own. (laughs) Um, and, uh, my cousins definitely taught me a ton and, you know, I think that like you sharing on, um, Austin has shown me that, you know, he, I can just sense a ton of, um, determination in him and and I'm so excited for you um so on that note um I just wanted to talk to you about his um his uh skill sets so like what are some things that he really um enjoys doing and um really just does great with um and just how uh he 
you know, communicates, I think you already touched on a little bit, but um, I'd love to kind of get a sense of that. Absolutely. Um, Receptive language, which I already spoke about a little bit, um, that's probably number one. That has just been a game changer for us in being able to communicate with him and to be able to quell any, you know, potential meltdowns because we say that keyword that we taught him and he's immediately calm, knows he's going to get what he wants and needs at that moment. Um, His two biggest passions right now are definitely water. He adores bath time, his water table, the little pool outside. Um, He really likes outside going in his swing. You know, that's how he first started kind of communicating with us is he would look really hard at the swing and then look at us and you know, look really hard at the water table and then look at us. And you could just tell, you know, oh, he wants to do that. Um, And the third thing is definitely music, you know, from a really young age, just he's in that Elmo phase. And I I know every kid goes through it, but it's just adorable. He sits there the entire 30 minutes, full attention span, you know, flaps his hands and gets just very hyper aroused, but he's happy. And, um, you know, any Disney song that we play, you know, on the on the Google Play in the living room, he'll stop what he's doing and look at us and, you know, want to be picked up. And, you know, we we dance around the living room almost nightly with our daughter and him. And it's just very cute. He immediately crawls over and wants to be picked up and danced with. And, um, you know, just things like that, you know, to give people hope. There, there's a lot of bright spots and a lot of positives to their overall personality. Um, You know, I don't want to sound all gloom and doom about the day we got the diagnosis. Yes, it's sad. And we got put on a different path. But like any child, I imagine you, you know, learn what their bright spots and positives are, and you just go with that. And, um, you know, we're that's what we've been learning from Austin over the last four months. So absolutely. Um, I definitely uh, agree with that. And, um, I am very appreciative that he likes Disney. Um, That is a big win. (laughs) Um, I'm a big fan of Disney. So (laughs) Um, I just absolutely um, love that, you know, he loves music. He's so, you know, interactive and it just really can give families so much um, encouragement and hope to hear those things and you know kids with with fragile x are super you know fun to be around they have great senses of humor they just love to help others um those are some very 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 common characteristics of um kids with fragile x and so i think that that can just add so much joy to people's lives just everyone that they come in contact with um, you know, they can just provide so much joy for people. And I think that that is also just a really um, amazing, amazing thing. Um, and something to just really appreciate and, and celebrate, honestly, just um, those great gifts that they have. Um, and so what are um, some of the support systems that you've been able to find, you know, as a mom, whether that's Uh, maybe like a Fragile X community group of some sort, whether that is kind of, you know, virtually or if uh, in person. Um, And then, you know, also the support for Austin and whether that's, you know, therapies, which I believe you touched on a bit. Um, But what does that look like for you guys? 
Absolutely. I'll start with him. Um, you know, when he was nine months old, he started an early intervention, you know, with weekly physical therapy and biweekly speech feeding. Um, once we got the diagnosis in March, um, the Fragile X clinic recommended that we add on an occupational therapist. You know, unfortunately, it has been virtual. It's still virtual. And, you know, it's August. Um, so, you know, yes, we met with each of the three therapists on a weekly basis, but it was virtual. So a lot you know, fell on us, you know, kind of telling them where he was at and, you know, seeking, you know, support for how can, how can we get him to learn to, you know, use a spoon? How can we get him to learn to drink it from a straw cup or, you know, whatever it was we wanted to teach him. And, um, you know, then myself and my husband, you know, it would fall on us that week to really do those things with him. Um, so we're very excited that, um, we met with a, we had a follow-up with our neurologist in April of this year. And he just kind of strongly suggested, you know, because of the fragile X with autistic features, you know, we don't yet know if he actually has autism, but he does have autistic features. And she recommended that we apply through EI for ABA therapy, applied behavior therapy. And um, the first month was tough. You know, we researched it a lot. We didn't know if it was going to be the right thing for him. You know, we didn't want someone coming in and, you know, trying to force him to initiate eye contact or anything like that. But um, we ended up finding, we interviewed a couple places and it's been four weeks now and the person comes twice a week. It's in person. Um, so twice a week for three hours at a time. And they're just working at his speed. You know, we're at the beginning stages of the PECS program, which is the picture exchange program. Fragile X children are very visual learners and I'm very excited for him on that front because that's just another new method of communication. You know, we put, you know, two different pictures of two different snacks in front of him and try to get him to point at which one he wants. Or, you know, we tell him this is what we're doing right now and then this is what we're doing next. And each one is illustrated with a picture. So that's the kind of support he's receiving at the moment. And given ABA is working for us and we think, you know, he's already, you know, making gains with it we'll probably scale back early intervention to, you know, bi-weekly. We're absolutely going to keep all three therapists because, you know, he still is not talking. Um, you know, we need the occupational therapist to continue to help us with, you know, questions on sensory issues. He is still not walking. So we still need the physical therapist for, you know, that final push to get him there. Um, so everyone is needed. And the one thing you'll read about Fragile X, unfortunately, is you need a lot, you need a big group. <laughs> it's a village of therapists. And between all of those people, you're kind of pulling out the information you need that really kind of focuses on your child. Um, in terms of myself and my husband, we immediately went on to Facebook and joined two or three different Fragile X parent groups. And it just has been so helpful because, you know, we have great parents, siblings, friends, but they do not understand what we're going through. And it's been really helpful to be able to join those groups and see the messages people are writing back and forth to each other. You know, people are on there talking about medication, talking about different therapies they're doing. And, it's just a whole different world that you're thrust into. And um, there's a couple, you know, women in particular, moms that don't even live in Massachusetts that live across the country from me that I talk to on a regular basis, um, you know, about our kids who are similar ages and, you know, what are they doing right now? Um, you know, what milestones are you working on? What therapies are you doing? And that's just been super helpful to kind of reaffirm that you're on the right track with your own child. Um, 
Yes. I would definitely suggest for any new families, you know, reach out to people on social media. It's the most helpful bunch I've ever experienced. So it's been great. That is so awesome. Um, I've definitely been grateful for uh, those Facebook groups as well, you know, especially during a pandemic when you can't, you know, meet with people in person. So um, that is wonderful. And I'm just so glad that you and your husband were able to find some some great uh, uh, Fragile X community groups on online. And so thank you so much for sharing that success uh, for you guys. And also, um, that is so great, too, that Austin is able to receive the, you know, support that he needs. And um, I just I'm so uh, grateful as well for you sharing that, um, because, you know, for some families, um, you know, it's very hard for them to find the right support. Um, you know, some families struggle with their doctor even necessarily believing that they have fragile X. So therefore, you know, they are not able to start the support that their child needs right away, you know, without getting that proper um, diagnosis. So um, I do appreciate you sharing that as well. So, um, but um, was there anything else that you wanted to share on Austin or your guys's story um, or just anything that you, you know, feel passionate about that uh, you believe that, you know, other Fragile X families should uh, hear or, you know, consider? Um, just that, unfortunately, you will learn very quickly that you it's not a joke about needing to be an advocate. Um, what you just said, um, you know, our neurologist had been suggesting for months that we, you know, apply for ABA therapy from the time she suggested we do that, did that do that from the time we actually started the therapy, it took three and a half months, it, it was a lot of paperwork, it was a lot of back and forth, you're really supposed to have an autism diagnosis to get ABA therapy, Austin has fragile X with autistic features, we had to word the letter just so, um, you know, I definitely can see how some people would not have gotten past that step. And I think that's a shame. So um, just certain things like that, you really do need to advocate and follow up on things. And unfortunately, because it is rare, you need to do a lot of research on your own. I definitely feel that, you know, yes, doctors and EI therapists have pushed us in the right direction to get this diagnosis. But now that we have the diagnosis, um, a lot of people have never worked with a fragile X child. Um, two out of my have never worked with one. So you're, you're very kind of, I feel very responsible for doing a lot of research, um, on my own to make sure that they're catering to him in the appropriate ways. And the biggest thing I can say is, um, Dr. Picker at Boston Fragile X Clinic, you know, our first meeting with him after getting the diagnosis, he said he was like, try not to focus too much on what a Fragile X 20 year old looks like today. He was like, it's going to be very different for Austin when he's 20. And that helped a lot because I had been looking at a lot of, you know, videos and stories of what adults with Fragile X are like right now. And I admit it was very disheartening. And um, I had to kind of stop researching adulthood for fragile X men and just focus on zero to five. And I have to have hope um, for the future. And I have to focus just kind of on the next six months. So try to take it in six month blocks. I think that makes it 
way less overwhelming. Um, that would definitely be my advice because there's just so much information out there and it can be daunting, you know, where do I even start? So I would just take it in blocks. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for, for sharing that, you know, because um, that is just a really great um, perspective to have, you know, um, because like I had said earlier, you know, every individual with Fragile X is different. It really just, uh, their future depends on our consistency and our patience and what we are able to, you know, provide uh, them as far as like resources. And, and um, you know, I really truly believe that you, you and your husband, you know, connecting with other Fragile X families and learning from each other collectively is really going to impact every single one of um, your guys's kids that are in your, you know, Fragile X community group, you all are helping each other. And that is such a cool thing. And it just speaks on so many levels of how important that is for all families with kids with Fragile X. Because like you said, not all uh, doctors have worked with kids with Fragile X. And that's important to know as well. So um, yes, absolutely. Um, thank you so much for everything that you've uh, shared with us today. I deeply appreciate you sharing Austin with us. He just sounds like such a gem and I'm so excited for his future um, and just everything that he's going to accomplish uh, in his life for sure. So um, just thank you for sharing your story and just being willing to. Um, it's definitely not a, a simple thing to do and, and we all with Talk Fragile X understand that. Um, so we are just very, very grateful for your time. And just, um, like I said, sharing Austin with us. Of course. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you for tuning in to Talk FX. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Talk Fragile X to keep up to date on the latest episodes. You can listen to Talk Fragile X on the major podcast listening platforms, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify.